They didn't ask me to help write that song, but I would have added, and you never will. Right? Because he never has failed us, and he never will. Hey, I want to welcome you today. I'm so thankful you're here today to worship the Lord with us. And if you're new to Grace Life, if you have questions or a prayer request, a couple ways we could connect. There's a tearaway tab on the worship guide. You could fill out as much of that as you're comfortable with. You can drop those in our offering boxes, little black boxes behind the sound booth right there in the middle. There's a couple of those out in the hallway as well. There's a QR code on it. You can just scan that and that'll all come to me electronically and I'd be honored to get to serve you any way that I can. Also, if you want, you could sign up for our next membership class to help you better figure out is this where the Lord wants you to be. Uh, We have a class that just started just in the last few minutes, but we're filling up our June class right now. So April and May, they're already full, but you could sign up for June, and we'd love to have you to be a part of that. Let me invite all of you tonight to come back to church. I know we don't do that often. But tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having covenant service here. We kind of like to do it in the evenings when the time changes and we got more daylight in the day, right? So everybody, you know, our older folks who maybe they don't want to drive after dark, everybody can come. So tonight at 6 o'clock is what we call covenant service. And we'll have some people following the Lord in baptism. We'll have parent commissioning, a.k.a. baby dedications, what that used to be called. Um, we're going to have, we're going to be affirming new people in our church family, new family members tonight. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And then when all that's over, it's going to be a really nice evening out. And so we've got a men's small group that's doing a hot dog fellowship for all of us together tonight just to get to hang out and spend some time together before we close the day on this Sunday. So 6 o'clock tonight, you don't want to miss that. Come back and be a part of that. Also, we're just a few weeks away from one of the biggest weeks that happens here all year. It's called VBS. That's a couple of things here at Grace Life. That's Vacation Bible School, and it's also the kickoff to a very big summer. That's how it always is here. And here's what we need you to do today. It it takes about 150, 200 volunteers to make VBS work, and so we need you to sign up. And if you have children that you want to bring to Vacation Bible School, go ahead and get them pre-registered. That'll help us tremendously to get everything ready to go. Here's all you got to do is sometime today, go to yourgracelife.com slash VBS. It'll all be right there in front of you. Fill that out. We can't wait to have you to come and to be a part of that. Well, if you've got a Bible today, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. We're preaching our way through the gospel of Matthew, a sermon series that we're calling Different. Now, some of you may know this about me, but in my inner thoughts, I have aspirations one day of being an archaeologist. I'm just a weird dude like that. I'm always kicking rocks and looking for stuff. You can imagine just coming back from Israel, how annoying I was to always be looking around for stuff, right? But I came across this recent story, or recently I came across this story um, that kind of interested me because of my love for all things that are old. It was back in 1996, some archaeologists were digging around a place called Melrose Abbey. Melrose Abbey is an old monastery in Scotland, about a thousand years old. And so in 1996, as they're digging around, among the old things that they found, they found a metal urn that had the contents of Robert the Bruce, the former warrior and king of Scotland's heart, his literal heart, was encased in that metal urn. Now let me tell you the story of how that metal urn and that heart came to be found at Melrose Abbey in 1996. King Robert was the warrior 
that had led the charge for Scotland to set them free from the rule of England. He was dying of leprosy and and died around 1329 probably. And as he's dying on his deathbed, he gives a decree. The decree is this. He said, when I die, I want my heart to be removed from my body and I want it to be embalmed. And then I want people to take it to Jerusalem and go to the church of the Holy Sepulcher and there present my heart to God. Now, I will be leading some more tours, God willing, to Israel, but do not ask me to take your embalmed heart with me when I go to Israel. I don't think I'm going to get through security like that. So he dies. They take his heart out. They embalm it. They encase it in this uh, metal urn, and then they give it to one of his most trusted knights, Sir James Douglas. But before James Douglas and his men can take the heart of the king, to Jerusalem, war breaks out. And so James Douglas takes the heart of his king, he wears it around his neck, and he goes into every single battle with the heart of his king around his neck. Finally, he comes to his last battle, and he knows this is going to be his last battle. He is surrounded, defeat is imminent, and he knows he has really two choices, to surrender or to die. And in that moment, Sir James Douglas grabs the heart of his king, tears it from around his neck. He throws it into the enemy lines, and he screams out, Foy, for the heart of your king! But he said it probably way better than that. I got a little Scotch-Irish in me, but I don't know how to talk like it, right? Fight for the heart of your king! So he died in the battle, but his body was recovered, and the metal urn that had the heart of his king, the body of James Douglas, And the metal urn with the heart of the king was taken to Melrose Abbey. And that's where we get our story from 1996. We're here today because Jesus is our king. And he's just delivered to us what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Where he has described what life in his kingdom is like. And how different his followers, the citizens of his kingdom will be. The greatest thing, I don't know if you know this or not, but the greatest thing about being in the kingdom of Jesus is that you get Jesus. Now, there's a lot of benefits that come along with being in the kingdom of Jesus, but the greatest benefit of them all is that you get Jesus. You get the heart of your king. And if you have responded to the call of Jesus in your life to forsake everything and to follow him as your Lord, as your king, as your savior, then I believe there is in you a voice, maybe it's been diminished to a whisper recently in your life, but I believe there's a voice inside the people of God that is calling us to fight for the heart of our king. I think that's a much closer reality than what it means today in people's minds about being a follower of Jesus. Today, being a follower of Jesus seems to have sort of been reduced to cotton candy, feel good, warm, fuzzy kind of language. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote, though, that I think says so much. Let me share it with you. He said, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin, enemy-occupied territory. 
That is what this world is, he said. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love what Lewis said there. And when I think about what he said and I reflect on our journey through the book of Matthew, I think about Matthew chapter 1 and 2. It describes the birth of Jesus, which was nothing less than a cosmic invasion of the kingdom of heaven into and onto the kingdom of darkness. We get to Matthew chapter 3 and 4, and it's the preparation of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus publicly. And that's like the landing at Normandy. That's like the D-Day, right, in Jesus' earthly ministry. And then we got to Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, and it's like it's the king's manifesto. This is who I am, and this is what I'm about, and, and this is my mission. And now this morning we get to Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, and these chapters are filled with battle stories. Because you see, when the kingdom of God advances, it advances in battle. When the kingdom of heaven moves, it moves in battle. There really is a war. Paul describes this for us. He lets us know that we are in a spiritual battle. We are at war in this world. It's an epic battle between God and evil. It's a battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And we might not like to think in these terms, but I think this makes a whole lot of sense. Like the man that called me Thursday, really struggling, fighting some things going on in his life. And he said, Pastor Joel, I just don't understand why all these bad things happen to good people. And there's the answer. It's because we're in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a battle. Satan has come to steal and to kill and destroy. Tensions rise up among us and in our relationships because he's seeking to divide and to conquer. You and I are part of an epic battle. But one of the problems with the church in America today is the call to follow Jesus sounds more like a travel agent trying to sell a vacation to somebody. Just come to Jesus land. You'll love it. It's really nice in Jesus land. It's sunny all the time. It never rains. It's fantastic. But that's not the language of the Bible. Rarely do we hear from Christians today or preachers today, follow Jesus and come fight for the heart of your king. Follow Jesus and come fight for his name and for his glory. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come. I don't think there's anything more important in this world than that. And in the next couple of weeks, several weeks, as we camp out in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're going to see Jesus is not only our king, but he's our warrior. And he is battling to crush demons and to crush disease and to crush darkness and to crush despair. And we will be faced with a decision. Are we as his people going to follow him into battle? We will be faced with a decision. Will we fight for the heart of our king? Or will we choose to live for far lesser things and to waste our lives? We've listened to Jesus preach his sermon over the last several weeks and his preaching was so different. In fact, we didn't read the concluding verses of chapter 7 last week, so let's bounce up there and grab it as we roll into Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. 
Why? Because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. See, the people were accustomed to hearing teachers teach by referencing other teachers. Rabbi so-and-so has said this. Rabbi so-and-so has said that. One scribe once upon a time might have said this. But that's not how Jesus taught. Jesus didn't recycle anybody's words. Jesus didn't name drop to try to give his teaching street cred. That's not what Jesus does. He brought his own original authority to his preaching. And the Bible says they were astonished because they'd never heard preaching like that. It was completely different. His teaching wasn't simply just interesting, good information. His teaching was words of power. Words of power to demolish strongholds, to tear down every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Jesus was fighting in the Sermon on the Mount to set the minds of people free. Now in chapters 8 and 9, we will see that not only is Jesus' preaching different, but his power is different. And this is what's so beautiful. Because typically in our world, Power and greed sort of go hand in hand. People use power for their own selfish reasons, their own selfish gain. But Jesus' power is different. It's not a power that's connected to greed. It's a power that's filled with grace. It's full of grace and mercy and goodness and kindness. In fact, it's going to be clear from our text today. That Jesus' power is different like this. He gives grace to those that are shunned. You might want to write that down. The ones that everybody else shuns, he gives his power to them in the form of grace. And we're going to see three kinds of people who were shunned in those days and still today. We're going to see the sick, we're going to see the slave, and we're going to see the second class. And we're going to see The different power of Jesus displayed in their life. Let's look at the first one. Number one, the power of Jesus is filled with grace for the sick. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, Israel pilgrims, he just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, coming down that mountain. He's heading to Capernaum. And large crowds followed him. And right away, A man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Now you need to know leprosy was the most feared disease of that day. It's the same disease Robert the Bruce died of that we spoke of earlier. One physician who almost exclusively dealt with leprosy writes these words. Listen to this. He says, the disease which today we call leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. 
Moreover, in view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently also attacks the vocal cords, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. But here's the thing you need to know. Leprosy wasn't only a physical disease. It, it was a relational disease. The moment you were declared to be a leper, you were considered to be unclean. And you were destined to spend the rest of your miserable life isolated from those that loved you. and From those that you loved. From your wife. From your children. From your Friends, and if you were to ever come into the vicinity of another person, you had to announce your uncleanness to warn them. That became your identity. You were not allowed to touch. You were not allowed to be touched. One Jewish rabbi said, if I ever see a leper in my vicinity, I throw stones at him to try to get him to leave. Lepers were the most shunned in their society. They were the people that nobody, Wanted to be near. But this leper, he breaks all the rules. He breaks all the protocols. And he comes to Jesus. Something's driving him. He's probably a husband. He's probably a dad. A son. A brother. Something's driving him to this kind of desperation to do the unthinkable. But he comes to Jesus not only in desperation, but I want you to see he comes in humility. The Bible says he takes a position of humility. He kneels before Jesus. And not only does he take a physical posture of humility, but what he says is full of humility. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. He didn't claim to deserve to be healed. He didn't come with a pretentious attitude as if he were entitled to healing from Jesus. He just says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In fact, this man puts the will of Jesus ahead of his own need for healing. If it's your will, Jesus, can I just say what a way to pray. Jesus, if you're willing. And that's the way Jesus himself prayed. Right? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. The man knew that Jesus didn't have to heal him. Jesus wasn't obligated to heal him. But notice this. He came not only in humility, but he came with confidence, right? Because he says, if you want to heal me, you can. But I know you can. I know you can. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Humility and confidence. What a way to pray. Humble and confident. And I can imagine in that moment the crowd is went whoop, Right? They're covering up their faces, they're grossed out, they're scared, they're freaking out. The circle's really big now, and just Jesus and this leper are standing there in the middle of the circle all alone. From the day that he was declared to be unclean, all this man has ever heard is, go away, go away, go away. But that's not what he gets from Jesus. From Jesus, he doesn't get another, go away. From Jesus, he gets a bunch of grace. Verse 3. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Here's the deal. Jesus touched 
the untouchable. Jesus made clean what was unclean. Anybody relate to that? That's my story. With his touch, he made one who was unclean, clean. He forgave all of my sins and adopted me as his son. Jesus restored this man's physical health. But he not only restored his physical health, he restored his relational health, right? Health. He could go now kiss his wife. He could go home and hug his children. He could go have coffee with his friends again. Life was completely changed. And I want to ask you this morning, who are the lepers in your world? Who are the people that get pushed away by people like you? Who is it that you shun, that you shove to the side, that you keep at arm's length? Who do you tend to push away? Or maybe you today, you know what it's like to be the person that's pushed away. Maybe you know what it's like to be the outcast, the shunned. Let's be clear about this today. Jesus showed up for the shunned. Jesus touched the people that nobody wanted to touch. With grace, he had love and compassion and concern and kindness for the rejected and the despised. Jesus battled for every human heart to know that you have a place to belong in my kingdom. He battled for that. Our king's heart is for the outcast, for the pushed aside. Our king's heart is for the shunned. And we need to fight for our king's heart. We need to step into that place and fight for his heart to extend his grace to the untouchable, regardless of how the world may have labeled them. This is how our king has called us to live. If there's ever been a time, see if you agree with this, if there's ever been a time that this world needed a big, jaw-dropping helping of God's grace, man, it is now. It is now. The power of Jesus is filled with grace for the sick. Secondly, the power of Jesus is filled with grace for the slave. Verse 5 says, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed and in terrible agony. All right, this centurion, as he comes to Jesus, he's got several strikes against him right out of the gate. First of all, he's a Gentile, non-Jew. Secondly, he's a soldier in the occupying army of Rome. He's the enemy. Not only that, he's a really good soldier. Because he's a centurion. That's where we get our word century. He's got a hundred men who follow his every order. But the fact that this soldier cares for his dying servant really sort of makes him unique. Because 2,000 years ago, a slave, a servant, they were shunned. They had no value in society, no worth in society at all. The average slave owner, be he a soldier or a civilian, thought of their servant or slave as nothing more than an animal. In fact, Aristotle, anybody heard of that Greek philosopher? Here's a quote from Aristotle. He said, a slave is only a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. But this centurion has a different view. He cared about this servant. Here's this seasoned warrior, strong leader, powerful commander, and he has compassion for this dying servant, and it 
it got Jesus' attention, didn't it? So what Jesus says to him next is, am I to come and heal him? Is that what you're asking me? You want me to come to your house and heal him? That's what you're asking me to do? In verse 8, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Isn't that great? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I get it. I know how authority works. He says, I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. I get authority. That's what he's saying. This is like at home when I say to my nine-year-old daughter, Kalia, tell your brother to come downstairs. So from the bottom of the stairs, she goes, Elijah, come downstairs. And he goes, no. And she goes, dad said. And he goes, okay, I'm coming. I mean, I ain't trying to show off at church or nothing, but I got some authority at the house, you know. This centurion is saying, Jesus, I get it. I know how authority works. I've got 100 men under my command. If I say jump, they say how high. The soldier recognizes he sees authority like no other when he sees Jesus He's saying to Jesus, look, I speak with authority, and these men move when I tell them to move, but you speak with authority over all things. If you tell this disease to leave, it has to leave. I get it. Look at verse 10. Jesus is blown away. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. Not many people could say they've done that to Jesus, by the way. He's amazed. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. And he said, I tell you that many will come from east and west to share in the banquet with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's he saying? You might not get it, but that ticked off some of those people. It stirred them up because the Jewish people, they believed a great day of a banquet was going to come. They looked forward to the day they would have a banquet with their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But they believed one of the best things about that banquet would be no unclean Gentiles would be there. Only Jewish people would be at that banquet. They wrongly thought that because their physical DNA matched somewhat to Abraham's and to Isaac's and to Jacob, that that automatically gave them a ticket to heaven. But Jesus just said, no, that's not how it works. You got that all wrong. There will be a a great banquet with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But that banquet's going to be filled with people who come from every direction, from all over the world, from the east and the west, from every tongue and every tribe, And every nation, all kinds of people will be there. And Jesus says, in fact, some of the people who are in the physical kingdom, the physical kingdom of Israel, who think they're going to be there automatically, they won't be there. He says, they'll be thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That may remind you as it does me. Last week, Matthew 7, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all we've done. And he'll say, depart from me because I've never known you. See, Roman centurions were not expected to be at that banquet. 
Gentile slaves were not expected to be at that banquet. But Jesus says this banquet's going to include all kinds of people who have one thing in common. They all came to the banquet through faith in Jesus. They all chose the narrow gate. Verse 13, then Jesus told the centurion, go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. Let me be clear about this. Jesus shows up for the shunned. Jesus touches the untouchable, the people nobody else wanted to touch. He had love and grace and compassion and kindness for the rejected and the despised. And for the ones that didn't get invited. His heart is for them. Jesus battled for every human heart to know you have a place to belong in my kingdom. Our king's heart is for the outcast, for the forgotten, for the uninvited. And the question is this morning, will we fight for our king's heart? Will we extend his grace and his kindness to every human heart, no matter how they've been labeled in this world? The power of Jesus is different, see, The power of Jesus is filled with grace for the sick. The power of Jesus is filled with grace for the slave. Third, the power of Jesus is filled with grace for the second class. Every day, the Jewish men would rise up and they would pray a prayer like this. Oh God of heaven, thank you for not letting me be born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. 2,000 years ago, women had no value in their society, but we never see Jesus treat women less than men. We never see that. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is creator God. John 1 tells us Jesus created all things. Colossians 1 tells us Jesus created all things. Hebrews 1 tells us Jesus created all things. You know what that means? It means Jesus created women and Jesus created men. Nobody knows the ins and outs of women and men like Jesus. And he created them with equal value, equal dignity in his own image. But he created men and women differently. I know this is not what's popular to say anymore, but it's true. He created men with certain strength sets and women with certain strength sets. And he created men with certain giftings and callings and responsibilities. And women with certain giftings and callings and responsibilities. And his plan and intent had always been that together they would work together and complement each other for the glory of God. That's how he's designed it. And that hasn't changed. But nowhere does God ever say or even imply that women are second class to men. Different, but equal. So our attention turns to a woman now. Verse 14. Jesus went into Peter's house. And he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So not just a woman, but a mother-in-law. I can do this joke now because my mother-in-law was in the first hour. My wife's mother-in-law was in the first hour. But you do know why Adam and Eve were the happiest people that ever lived. If you didn't get it, ask somebody. They didn't have mother-in-laws. So Jesus goes into Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. 
So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And then she got up, just like that, and began to serve. And then, then the sun went down. And if you thought Jesus had just had a crazy day, I mean, he just preached the Sermon on the Mount. He just came down the mountain. Here's the leper. Here's the centurion. Here's Peter's mother-in-law. And if you think, all oh, that's crazy. No, no, it gets crazy now because the sun went down. And Luke tells us that was the end of that Sabbath. Now suddenly, because the Sabbath has ended, all the Sabbath restrictions are lifted. It's getting dark now. But it is like the floodgates of brokenness and need are opened. Look at what the Bible says, verse 16. When evening came, they brought to him many. That's the key word here. This is not like a couple of people passed by and knocked on the door. This is gravitational, what's happening at Peter's house. The Bible says many were brought to him who were demon-possessed And he drove out the spirits with a word. Listen, this is not demonic spirits attacking Jesus. Jesus is attacking demonic spirits. And he healed all who were sick so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Look, when Jesus shows up to the fight, darkness flees. When Jesus shows up to the fight, the demons flee. When Jesus shows up to the fight, the darkness is dispelled. Despair dissolves in the presence of Jesus. On this night, the kingdom of heaven invaded a small fishing town on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. The kingdom of heaven had come. And I got a feeling nobody slept that night in Capernaum. Would you? I mean, I ain't going to miss nothing. I'm going to wait till he goes to sleep. I'm not going to miss a thing. And as always, Matthew's quick to point out the connection here between the Old Testament and Jesus. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. This is our king. This is my king. He is a mighty warrior. And he is battling. He steps into enemy territory. And he fights for for sinners. He steps into enemy territory and he fights for the shamed. He steps into enemy territory and he fights for the shunned. He steps into enemy territory and he fights for the forgotten, for the abandoned, for the not invited. Jesus came to set captives free. He came to deliver us from sin's grip and he won the war. When at the cross, he sinlessly died in our place as our substitute and God raised him up on the third day, only 40 days later, to send his Holy Spirit to establish his church and the kingdom of heaven here on earth and the question is now will we fight for our king because this is why we're here not to simply spend another Sunday eating cotton candy in Jesus land we are here to fight for the heart of our king and you cannot hang the heart of your king around your neck and not be changed and not see life different and people different time different and yourself different and the question is will we fight for the heart of our king and showing grace to the ones who've been shunned will we extend our hands to the ones that are rejected despised forgotten sounds risky 
He's worth it. Jesus battled for every human heart to know you have a place to belong. You have a place to belong. You need to hear that today. Every person in this room, Jesus has battled and he is battling right now for you to know. Regardless of what anybody's ever said to you, you have a place to belong. Don't you doubt it for a minute. Don't you doubt it for a minute. Our king's heart is for the outcast, the shoved aside, the shunned. Maybe today you're the one with the sickness. I know you are at home. I know there's people who can't be here because you're sick. And that sickness has left you on the outside looking in. He's for you. And he has grace for you today. Trust him. Maybe today you're here and you're the one that's been treated as if you're second class. Jesus won't do that. You're not second to him. He has grace for you today. Trust him. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're one that's enslaved to something. He has grace for you today to set you free. Maybe you're here today and you're the one that is on the outside looking in. You've, you've heard what everybody has said about you. You're, you're less than. You're not enough. You know the labels they've given you and you're... You've listened to that. And I'm here to tell you today, stop listening to that. The only one who has the right to speak the final word over your life is the one who created you. The only one who has the right to speak the final word over your life is the one who died to make you his own. Come to him today. Trust him today. Your brokenness does not embarrass him. Your shame doesn't shock him. Your sickness doesn't intimidate him. And your sin, he'll throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And he'll never bring it up to you again. This is our king. God, we bow our hearts before you. Humbly and yet with confidence in you. Jesus, there is none like you. You've come for the shunned and the shamed. You've come for the broken and the beaten down. You've come for the weary and the worried. You've come for the sinner and the second class. And God, that's all of us here. You stepped in to fight our battles and to give us a place of belonging in your kingdom. Jesus, you fought for our hearts. And God, I pray that you would find us fighting for yours. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask two questions really today. First question is, you're here. You're a follower of Jesus. But maybe as of late, that voice of God inside of you that says, fight for your king. Maybe that voice has grown faint. You've gotten distracted. 
Maybe you've gotten discouraged and you've lost your vision of who you are. You've lost your vision of whose you are. You've lost your vision of why you are here for such a time as this. And if you'd say today, Pastor, I hear that voice in my heart today telling me to fight for my king. And I needed to be awakened to that today. Would you pray for me? I sure will. All you got to do is look up at me. Just nod your head yes. Say, Pastor, that's me. I hear the Lord telling me to fight for my king. I'm in. Just all across this room. Big nods. Old eyes need big nods. I want to fight for my king. Second question is, you're here today and you're that person that feels shunned and shamed and on the outside looking in. You say, Pastor Joel, today I'm I'm broken and I'm hurting and I need a touch from the Lord today. Would you pray for me? I absolutely will. Just look up and nod your head real big. That's me, Pastor Joel. I just need a touch from from the Lord today on my life. Amen. Amen. God, I can't see every head and I certainly can't see a heart, but you can. So God, I pray for your people today that have been chomping down on kingdom cotton candy for a little too long and have forgotten who they are and whose they are and why we're here. God, would you stoke that fire in our hearts today to fight for our king. And God, I pray today for those that feel alone. Maybe maybe they're broken, maybe they're embarrassed, there's shame, there's guilt. There's fear. God, I pray that they would come boldly to you right now. Humbly, but with confidence that you will not turn them away. That there is life and there is peace and there is hope and there is joy and there is healing from Jesus today. As we begin to sing in just a moment, you can pray from your seat. You can pray from your feet. You can come pray on your knees down here at the altar. You can grab somebody and say, would you just go with me down there to pray? That's awesome. You can come right down here and grab my leg and say, hey, pastor, would you just talk to me for a second? Absolutely. Yes, I will. Today's a good day to get our vision back, people of God. Today's a good day to give your heart to God if you're not a person of God yet. Today's a good day to know the touch of God in your life. You don't have to change anything or fix anything to get there. He's waiting for you right now just where you are and how you are. So I want to invite you to stand as we sing and as we worship the Lord. And now we get to respond to what Jesus has said in his word.